Hey, I'm Craig Finn. You're listening to That's How I Remember It. This is a podcast where I speak to various creators about how their own memories affect their creativity and the stories that they tell to others as well as themselves. Today, my guest is Dessa. She's a true multi-hyphenate artist, a singer, a rapper, an author, podcast host, more. I first knew her as a member of the Minneapolis hip hop crew Doomtree, and we share some mutual friends, but I hadn't had a chance to talk with her as much at length as we did here. I really enjoyed it. Um, Dessa put out a great new record this year. It's called Bury the Lead, and she's been touring on that. You can catch her on the West Coast in January 2024. She's also published a book back in 2018 that's really interesting in relation to the conversations we have here about memory. That book is called My Own Devices, True Stories from the Road on Music, Science, and Senseless Love. In that book, she looks into love from kind of a scientific angle. She attempts to fall out of love with someone using various techniques. It's a really good read. I I recommend it. Dessa also hosted a podcast called Deeply Human, which launched in 2021. It explores issues of the inner self, exploring our loves, fears, habits, and hopes. And I suspect this gig as a podcast host is at least some of the reason that she's a very excellent podcast guest. I had a great time with this conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Here we go. Dessa, thanks for joining us on That's How I Remember It. I'm going to start the way we start all of these and ask the question, do you consider yourself to have a good memory? No. No. Do you qualify that at all? I mean, is there things you are good at remembering? Yeah, but I would say like I'm, I'm particularly bad at putting things in sequence. Do you know what I mean? So even if I remember a handful of birthdays, it's hard for me to figure out what order they might have occurred in unless I'm referencing like how tall the countertop seemed. Do you know what I mean? Or like, did I drink? (laughs) Was that my seventh birthday or my 27th? How about like, like conversations with people, things Mm. like that? Yeah, I think that I have a very good memory intermittently. Do you know what I mean? So like, I will remember verbatim remarks. But only sometimes it's like there's a tape recorder in my head that only occasionally is pressed to go. So I'm frustrated sometimes. I'm like, you know, my band members are like, oh, this is the this is the venue where there's that great vegetarian spot around the corner. Remember, we all went there and it was, you know, it was a very special day and we and there was a kangaroo. And I have like no impression of that event or restaurant. Yeah, I'm totally that guy. Like a venue, anything on anything when I'm traveling, I can kind of lock in and then anything, anything at home, like years just fly by, you know? So like, like, but like if I change my scenery enough, I'm like, oh, this is the venue with the stage in the corner. And, you know, I was thinking about this this week. And do you think like when you were in school, did you, was there, I'll say for myself, I couldn't learn in a lecture, but if I read it, I could really pick it up. And so I would just like skip the lecture and read it. Um, and, but the strange thing about that is I really remember conversations, but I think if I, if someone's addressing more than me, I tune them out. <laughs> um, do you, do you have any, did, how did you, like when you were in school, did you have like one way that you captured information better? So if you had like a lecture of just you, like if it was a, if the, if the student class size was one, then you think you would have gotten it off. <laughs> I think if they let me talk a little bit too. Yeah. Um, okay. So I would say conversation for me and maybe also because it asks, I don't know, it just feels less passive, right? It's like, I know that it's going to be my turn to throw the ball back. And so you're actually 
I don't know. It feels like conceptually the material is in hand, not just on display. So yeah, I would say conversation for me. But also I just feel like there's this sort of unfortunately high threshold of interest. Like if I'm really engaged, I'll get it. But I, it's, it's a sh- it is a legitimate like intellectual point of embarrassment for me that, uh, that I'm so bad at history and geography. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like the way that is like the least attractive American. And so, you know, I re I listened to Howard Zinn for the 18th time on like a book on tape. And then I read it and it just, it, it doesn't stick nearly as well. Like even after repeated exposures is like science stuff that I'm interested in. But also I find that I remember, so I'm, I'm making the shape of a book with my hands, but like, I can remember when I'm skimming through a book looking for a passage that interested me. I'll know it was like page left, paragraph three. Like I remember spatially in the book. Do you have that too? You're nodding. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know if, I, if I'm like looking for something, I know to like the left or the right hand side. That's that cool. strange. That's not come up before. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, that's right. So, you know, speaking of books, your book, My Own Devices, I was reading and um. In it, you ask your brother his earliest memory, and he comes back up with a memory of his hands on the crib, plotting an escape. But but I don't think you share your earliest memory. Do you have any idea of it? Yeah, I would. Okay, so again, I'm not super great at sequencing, but I know that some like one of my earliest memories. I remember the feeling, which is sort of dreamy, and maybe it's like I've worn the paper out by pulling up the memory too often, so I'm aware of its handling. You know, its fragility because it's been called up, but I remember being under the table in the way that, you know, the adults knees are all around. So it must have been, you know, people at my, I presume my house, you know, where my parents lived and raised me and like the table, the fort that's made by being under a dining room table with the tablecloth filtering the light. And I remember in my head getting a little bit confused about where I was and the book where the wild things are. So feeling mm-hmm. like there might be monsters outside. So I think this is my first memory only because I'm an idiot if I have that at like nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I have like a I have like a whole a, a whole bunch, but I can't like there's too early to sequence. But they yeah. all my parents briefly, like I think for 18 months or two years lived in Cleveland and they're all there as I was turning like it was three-ish. But but you know, I don't know what what order but there anything in cleveland is just sort of early and then you know the preface yeah the the yeah yeah and i i do i do have one that i always um that that kind of like made an, an, an and i was thinking about because the twins played the cincinnati reds yesterday and i was watching and they had won the world series that year and i asked my dad i was getting into baseball cards and i said what's the best team and he said cincinnati reds and i still have a thing when i see there on this i'm like oh that's the best team they could be in last place and no, oh, good this yeah. year but but i'm like that's the best team um, and that's like a crazy thing that just sort of got stamped in earlier. Yeah. Like, um, like files that refuse <laughs> to be updated, you know, it's like, I will not upgrade my operating system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause what, what if this doesn't work next time? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, what if this doesn't reboot? Yeah. How about music? Do you have an early musical memory? I do. And I think some of my earliest memories for just like the sounds of music, um, were my, were from my father and that he was uh, like, before I was born, he was making a living, a modest one, uh, as a lutenist, you know, so he's playing that like wooden precursor to a guitar. Um, easier to support yourself than a family yeah. on that kind of income, obviously. Right. Niche. But the noise that 
like fingers make on on acoustic strings as they slide, you know, between the notes. And the way that I just remember him, I don't know if this will pick up, but I remember him going, <sighs> so he's doing a hard run on, you know, his, his fingers are moving quickly on the fretboard. And then you can hear him breathing between the difficult passages that <sighs> like, I remember the kind of patterns of inhalation uh, is like being in the song. Do you know what I mean? Like that was part of the musical experience. And at that age, like I didn't know any of that. And I still kind of don't like a lot of the composers that he was playing, but like, sat Bach and Paganini and, and these kind of sad, like melancholic dead dudes. Um, uh, and yeah. And I, I liked those. Songs. Do you play the lute in a combo or is that is a solo instrument? You know, I know that when he, when I was like, Oh God, I got early members. I know that when I was really little, God, what on earth would have been the circumstances for this to occur? But he, he used to tour like Scandinavia or Europe as a lutenist. So I think it was in a, in an ensemble of some sort, but like they're wearing period clothing, you know? So there was like a big hatch that was like floppy and velvet and it had a wire in the brim. And I remember loving the living hell out of that hat. Like I wore it everywhere until my mom was like, yo, this is just exposed wires. Like you can't, a child can't wear this hat because it's a dangerous, it's a crown phone. So like it's become biblical. <laughs> I suppose if you go on loot, you you have to kind of go all the way. It's not. Oh yeah. Lot, yeah. There's no half measure. There's no jeans yeah. and t-shirt in the loot, you know? <laughs> How about like music, music that, the first music that was kind of yours. Alone. Oh, sure. I will say that my family had like kind of weird ideas when I was little, maybe just born of like being mindful about budget, but like what was luxury and what, what was in, not luxury, what was indulgent. And I think in an effort to like gain points with the adults in my life, I was sort of like, Oh, I would never buy a CD, which is so stupid. But I think when I was first like, yeah, I want to own music. Um, it's like a casingle probably. I remember being taken by some of the Madonna joints. Um, I really liked, there was a song by Go West called King of Wishful Thinking. I'll be the king of wishful thinking. That song blew my mind. I wanted to learn, like, I think I, this was the first time I tried to, like, play anything on a keyboard. I just, I, I couldn't figure it out. I was too stupid. But I loved, I loved that song. And then also, like, my... The stuff that my parents listened to, not all, but but I, I liked a lot of it. So like Michael Jackson and um, a lot of Whitney Houston and Sade, which was a little probably like as a kid, I wanted something that was like a little bit less emotionally complex than Sade. But um, but I also liked um, the Beatles. Like my dad was, a, he really liked those. And I remember thinking that if I ever wanted to be a singer, I had to learn how to sing. And so I never heard John or Paul take a breath. And so I tried to do the whole song. I would hyperventilate before the song started to try to sing along on one lung full of air with them. Yeah. Was did you listen to the radio? I did. Yeah, I grew up in Minneapolis, so yeah. like top forty or top forty. So like KDWB, you know, on the school bus particularly, like that was always the jams. So yeah, yeah, KDWB was was pretty omnipresent. And what I what I, there's a couple songs that I love still that are. Um, that even though we were, you know, KQRS, the rock station and KDWB, the pop station would play. There's two songs I'm thinking of in my youth that, that were not national songs and mm. KQ would play this song, the upper Mississippi shakedown by the Lamont Cranston band, which was a local kind of blues rock band 
and it it was you know the one local band they would play and it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a basic song uh but it does have this like minnesota minneapolis i'm in a you know cold weather thing got my car started this morning ain't giving you no warning and i always liked that thought that was like you know we, we sometimes have problems starting our cars in minnesota and then K- kdwb had um this song called Kelly's Eyes, which really sounded like Prince, but it was by Andre Simone, who was in Prince's band. And actually, I mentioned Andre Simone in a, in a Hold Steady song because I was so taken by that song. But it's like, how does that one go? Do you remember how that one goes? Kelly's Eyes, Kelly's Eyes. It would have been like when I was, you know, I'm a little older mm-hmm. than you, so it would have been more like sixth grade for me. So I don't know. I bet I, I bet it might have been in there. Yeah, it I, had like after it had the, look it up. Yeah, it had that like Dirty Mind era Prince t- style keyboard. Yeah, you know. But uh, good good song. And and he had a record called Survive in the Eighties. I was sort of tuned in to him because of that. And then he also one time sang the national anthem at um, a high school football game I was at. So that's uh, cool. A little more in tune to Andre Simone. Um, than maybe most people, but I, I still dig it. So you know, I, I've been asking everyone about about like music connected to seasons because and most people seem like they 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 connect music to some some records sound better some music sounds better in the summer the winter etc as we head into fall do you have any music that you would put together put forth as like fall music for you yeah i mean i do th- i'm sure I, I imagine i sound probably a lot like the other people you've spoken to but i do think there's this vibe of like you know summer music windows down uh the BPMs can get a little higher. It can be danceable, you know, uh, big choruses, strong melodies. And when you get into the dying seasons, I think like, ah, okay, we can slow the BPM down. You know, maybe we're doing that. Like, like if you're going to make a record that has vocal stylings that are reminiscent of like, um, oh my God, help me. What is the, what is the, sad book elliot smith you know so you're going to not be fully projecting you're going to be vocal track maybe like layering your voice for like textures or like you know damian rice or i'm kind of dating myself here but like um or even like a billy eilish i mean she manages to go around the seasons and then add a fifth one but i do think like that softer vocal styling do you know what i mean it feels more at place because a lot of times we're not you know we're not listening over windows down road noise we're not listening at huge outdoor festivals we're listening with windows up, crying in the parking lot <laughs> or listening in headphones. Like you can, you can have these quiet things. I think fall and spring are more melon. I mean, spring is hopeful, but fall's melancholy. And I feel like maybe, I don't know uh, if you feel this, but growing up in Minnesota, Minneapolis, I, I felt like there was a hard, long, hard winter coming. And if you're the kind of person who obsesses, you're like, you don't necessarily enjoy <laughs> like when I was a kid, I would not enjoy the fall. Cause I would be like, Oh, winter's coming. Same. Right now. Yes. I love it. And I think living in New York, it, we have a, such a great fall. Um, you live in New York also like, like the fall is really, I look forward to it and I have less tolerance for summer, but, but I, I do think, I do think fall is, uh, I don't know. I think sad. I'm still living down the Pavlovian Minnesota association <laughs> and that like, you know, it would be, like finally the heat would break in Minnesota and you'd see the first beautiful maple tree flame up in glorious color. And I'd be like, fuck my life because I was just <laughs> indicative of what was coming. I was like getting a head start on the depressive, you know, response to winter. Um, yeah. And then there, there was like, yeah, then there's the spring day. There's like the, I just remember when <sighs> I lived in Minnesota, the, the one spring day that was awesome. And then it was summer. I don't know. Like, like there was that one beautiful day. 
and that was like music sounded amazing on that day. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I do. Th- I never thought about, but you know that whole like, um, like David Byrne, like how much of our music is associated with the spaces in which we're listening to it. I wonder yeah. if that really informs our seasonal tastes too. That is, I mean, that's sort of my hypothesis going into to all these conversations. Is like, you know, like like how things kind of stamp on, um, you know, like 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 our experience and whether it be our space, our, our weather, you know, where we live at the time, what are we going through, and so this is uh, on this sort of last of these sort of general mm-hmm. questions. Have you ever had a song that's been ruined for you? I mean, from life like like you know the obvious would be a breakup or something but yeah is there a song that you're just like uh yeah good call good call i would say that so almost there was like a song that was ruined and then rescued from the brink of disaster (laughs) but i am so sensitive (laughs) uh particularly like in the you know after i've crossed some sort of like escape velocity of the blues like there's this moment where like oh shit now i'm really blue and things everything is hitting me so hard that I think during those, and I know my mom is the same way. She mentioned that after, this is years ago, but like after the divorce from my dad, I was like, I'm not going to do music for a while. It's just too much. Right. And, right. and like, there's this, I am a big fan of Swedish pop, not super mm-hmm. informed about it. So I can't trade notes. I bet you are, but I'm not. And like, mm-hmm. I, but I love Tovlo. And I remember when her first EP came out, it was like, you know what? I don't think the neighboring people at the like ellipticals on the gym need to see me cry again, like <laughs> mid afternoon. Like we're just probably good on this for a minute. But then of course, all you want to do is like, maybe I can repeat one more time, you know, this weird wallow vibe. So yeah, that was almost too much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, that's really interesting to me. Cause like, like I, I feel like, I don't know that I have, I, I can't say I, I have those exactly. Um, I have preferences and, uh, you know, I, I, I think I don't love nineties music because I didn't love my twenties versus yeah. the other parts of my life. So that's when I was in my twenties. So nineties music with tons of exceptions, tons, but I'd say overall, like stuff that was popular in the nineties, I'm like, eh, I don't have nostalgia for that or anything. You know? Can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. Have you had, have you written songs? Or, and I, I don't know your personal life super well, but like, have you either written songs or had songs written about you by other musicians that you've been involved with where that part of your own repertoire becomes difficult because your feelings have really changed? Yeah, yeah. There is, uh, I mean, there are songs I've written, um, one in particular by the Holtz Teddy called Lord, I'm Discouraged, which is is a very tough song. Um, there's a song called Magazines that I wrote about Angie, my current partner um during our 48 hour breakup early in our relationship which has taken on kind of a humorous tone uh-huh. um because you know like circumstances changed quickly but it was still a good song and i i, I, I introduced that it's kind of a funny story but like as the like, content yeah totally. yeah i was like mad so i wrote this song and then she was like yeah let's get back together i was like totally oh and, yes yeah yeah and then it's <laughs> like but the, we got this song you know and I mean, you must not, do you have that too? I do like not too many, but there's a couple that, and sometimes like, I think there was one that I wrote. It's a rap song where the patterns are good. Like it's, it's kind of like stuttery, you know, ticka, ticka, ticka. And, but I wrote it in anger and it sounds mad. And it's not like a nuanced, thoughtful, righteous anger. It's just salty as hell. And that one is like, ah, to what extent do I really want to showcase that version of me, which isn't that tight. And yeah, it just seems like 
I'm not lit up in that in that same way anymore. So yeah, uh, well, so going to the new album, Bury the Lead, which I really am enjoying. Um, what what's the first memory of the, like the beginning of the process? What's the earliest thing set in motion that that sort of led to this album or ended up on the record, etc.? Yeah, you know, I end up like I don't have really clean um, timeline partitions between records. So you know, I, do you write on, on do you write on paper or do you write on like or both? both but more and more it's like phone computer same. you know same and it's so easy because it syncs you know what i mean and yeah. so and also if i like lose a backpack but anyway i think you know i do still have like some like a pile of i don't know maybe a dozen just kind of grimy notebooks where i don't want to throw them away because i know that there's some lines in there that i haven't used it so i would say that if we're counting very strictly about like when is the first memory of the Record. I know that there was like I had written down the line "Live girls dance, dead men float," That's a good line. and I just didn't know where to land it. You know, so I've been just sort of carrying that one around in my like little runaway bindle for a while. What uh, one, one a side question? What do you do with the notebooks? Like, d- like if you've got a dozen, I have those two, and less so now that I've kind of moved to my phone and computer. But do you keep them all? I don't know how to answer this question without <laughs> seeming unlikable. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, I keep mine. And like okay. I'm not trying to like build like the archive, but I just can't yes. get myself I just, to like, like what a douche. I just I'm like, oh. but, like but also like the 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 I mean, yes, I'm not saying that like I'm gonna donate these archives to the University of Iowa. I am saying I can't bring myself I can't to let throw go. them away. Yeah. And I would say that I would be way more comfortable answering if it was like, oh, I'm just kind of sentimental about them, so I keep them. But like this creepy egomaniacal troll somewhere in the sub-basement of my psyche is like, we might need these for the archive. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just think it's like, <sighs> like you, it's, it's a part of me, you know, that, yeah. that like, I don't want to throw out. And if it means hauling this box around for the next 30, 40 years. So it's not what? a car. It's a box. Yeah, totally. It's a shoe box. So and I tend to use small notebooks too. So they, Same. they, yeah. they fill up quickly. And then, but anyways, you know, uh, I, I I thought that because like I already like you. I've I mean that was on the radio a couple of years ago. It feels like like that was on the the last EP, right? It was. Yeah, and I've never done that before. It's very like I'm I'm doing air quotes and like eyebrow up in a pretend James <laughs> Bond expression. But like it's a very like industry move that I hadn't heard of because admittedly I'm pretty far removed from a lot of industry best practices. Like I've, I've still stayed pre- in it. What a way that I enjoy. Like yeah. Indie, scrappy, we get things done, but I don't, I don't like spend that much time in LA and I don't, you know what I mean? I haven't really messed with a major or anything. So major label. So when somebody who is industry savvy, who's a homie, he recommended like, Hey, you know, this is something that people can do. Like you can do that. You'd never put this out on a full length, give it another shot to be heard. And I was like, really? And it felt weird at first. Cause that, yeah, I, I had, I had just assumed that was not something that was allowed um, by the, I don't know, album police. But then I was like, yeah, okay, this one never come out on a full length. Like, let's put it in. And I, I'm glad we did. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Track. Well, I mean, there, it, it, obviously, there's less rules now. I mean, if there were ever rules, they're just like, they're not worth paying attention to. Um, yeah, yeah. But, the, the, you know, Hurricane, you just quoted Hurricane Party, the Live Girls Dance, Dead Men Float. And I saw the term Hurricane Party mentioned in your book. Um, and I never, I didn't know what it meant at, and then it shows up in your record too, but I looked it up. It's, it's basically, as I understand it, you know, when a hurricane's coming, you've got like food in your fridge that are going to, is going to perish. 
you all get together and kind of wait out the storm together. Right. And, and it seems yeah. like, you know, and you say every end days, every other Wednesday. So it's sort of, this one seems, you know, to in touch with the sort of barrage of our times, our politics, our pandemic, all that. Did this seem to like, when you do that, does it, did, is that one way of sort of marking, marking where we are right now? I mean, mm. I guess, I guess it, I, I guess it's, also, I'm answering my own question. Sorry, but it's it, it feels unlikely that we're going, you know, we're going to reach a point of calm. But it, d- d- but it does. But the song does seem to be um, modern or topical in some way. Interesting. Uh, and maybe it's less me like proactively hovering above the moment or the you know the, the zeitgeist that we're in from the comfort of a helicopter and making comment on it because I feel like I'm very much like everybody we're all in the trenches of it so it's more me sending up a signal flare like yo you know it does just feel like an existential threat is I don't know maybe every 20 minutes if you're, if you're tuned in <laughs> to to the news cycle and some of them like you know, some of them feel a little bit catastrophizing and clickbaity. And some of them are like, no, these demand immediate focused global attention. This is legit. But also you have to have like room for a Friday night and staying up late and dancing. And so, there's got to get it's got to give sometimes and somewhere. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I feel like the the term breaking news is one that we've gotten <laughs> uh, like like is used a little freely these days. You know, um, breaking. I news thought you were going to make it a pun. Like it is breaking you. Yeah. Like here is news <laughs> to break you. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, it, by definition, can you have breaking news like, you know, 14 times a day? Because that's what The New York Times in my inbox seems to think, you know, and it's and and I'm like. I don't know if this is worth breaking news sometimes. Yeah. It's like we interrupt this newscast with this newscast. Like, yeah. oh my God, you guys, this is, yeah, constant, urgent. And yeah, I, I wonder the extent to which that's a product of like our ever more interconnected world and how much it also is for like, and I'm sympathetic to it. It's hard to make money in news. It's hard to make money in music. And so we're all getting weird. And the more urgency you can create, the more clicks you get. Yeah, I mean it's content, right? It's another way. It's another. I touch, know, but like know? also, you're right. I use that word, but I remember the first time I heard it. Okay, I feel like the way that I felt when I was a teenager, naive, sometimes arrogant, but also right. Like to be incensed and horrified at the state in which you find the world. There's a there's something valuable about that. Like, why is this person sleeping outside? Oh, they don't have a home. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. When you are old enough to realize that sustained horror and indignation is absolutely appropriate similarly when i first heard the word content i remember i was working with the manager at the time and i was like i'm sorry you keep you do you mean music like why are you using that word and it was like no it's it's almost like it's a widget and like what used to be the art that you share it's like you need anything to put online to stop the blankness you know anything Anything will do. And the word content itself seems like it's indicative of the problem to me. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember hearing uh, the word that preceded that, which um, in the CD era was product. Do you have product? Do you have product right. when you're going it on sounds tour? Sounds like drugs. You it? know? Uh, yeah, right. It, 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 it's just, it's widgets, right? Do you have the product? You have, like, you know, and it's like, no, I have my album, which I <laughs> wrote for one year, recorded for a month, and then waited for six months for it to come back. And now I'm like putting my life on hold to go try to play people these songs. It's not my product. It's my life, you know? 
Yeah. And, um, and content. So, so for some reason, content, because I was a little older when it came out, it slides off the tongue easier to me than product. Uh, but that may be, I hope that doesn't mean I gave up. <laughs> I've given up. But I think also it bothers me because of the, honig- the, the almost homonym, like when you read it it should be the word content <laughs> instead yeah. it's just content <laughs> you know yeah be yeah. content hey this is craig finn host of that's how i remember it which is supported by distrokid distrokid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings over a million artists rely on distrokid to get their music into spotify apple music title tiktok etc all the major streaming services Use the app to upload new releases, edit account details and metadata, get notified when you've earned royalties, and see your stats. And you'll get 30% off your first year's membership by visiting distrokid.com slash craigfan. So hey, get your music out there and do it easily. Thank you, DistroKid, for supporting That's How I Remember It. To make a record right now, like, I, I mean... I, and this is something I struggle with, but like, you know, what, what is, what is an album in 2023 and what are you, you know, like, like, is it, is it anyone's guess? Do you have, when you go in it, do you have goals? Is it something that just burns in you? This needs to be an album. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about it conceptually or like, or is it, or is it a calling card, you know? Um, uh-huh. Right. Do, right. do you have any thoughts? I mean, okay. So I think there is, let's see, on one hand, it's how does it function in the world? which is, I think, more in league with, like, do you have product? What's your content for today? How does it serve an artist? But then on the other hand, like, what is it for an artist? What is, what is it as art? I think that my answer to what is an album, like, it's always been a little, I've always been a little shy about it because I felt like the hip kids who were really the kind of musicians and artists to which I aspired, you know, I aspired to be, they had such strong ideas about like album as the quantum unit of musical output. And I've never been that way. Um, even as just a musical listener, for me, it's always been a song is the quantum unit. And so, you know, I'd be as inclined to like make a playlist of my favorite songs from an artist as I would to listen to their record in most circumstances. So I would say I don't, I don't quite mourn like the dissolving lines around what is an album in the way that some of my friends do just because I was never as attached to that model and now this is where I'm self-justifying what I perceive as the failure of like I'm just a song kid so cheap I just like milk chocolate in vast quantities like um that I when I'm making an album I sort of trust and hope that good sequencing can help arrange a bunch of songs that are pretty, they're usually pretty different. Like that's one criticism I get a lot. It's like, yo, this is just a lot of really different art. But also that maybe there's some natural continuity and through line of voice in that, you know, for me, lyrics, you know, are, are a huge part of the, the project. And my favorite writers, like page writers, I would go with them to the DMV. It doesn't totally matter to me what they're writing about. I love to hear their view of the world, even if it's a really familiar mundane place. So I'm sort of hoping that I can evoke some of that feeling too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still think in Elms and I also still feel, I I've started to feel really like a dinosaur because of it, mm. because I don't think, you know, I don't think it, it matters, but I'm sort of like, but I guess my thing is like, okay. And a song does this too, but an album maybe more so is it's like artistically when you, you know, you're a kid and you mark your height against the wall, like here's where I'm at right now. And I guess a song does that, 
but mm. an album 10 songs together almost says like here's where i was in 2023 or something like uh that's that. interesting huh but okay so when you say an album okay if it were the case that we got to pick okay so to me it, it feels like an album like there is a degree of just randomness i guess and that like that's how many songs fit on the technology of vinyl like that's why it's that long right so if it were the case that song suites i remember when i first heard about that that like I dated a dude who was like who had done opera in college and he was like a song suite where you have like three or four art songs, you know, together. I was like, oh, that if that was how they were packaged three and five. I've always been a miniaturist. I love short stories. I love short essays. I love tightly written short songs. Like if that was like industry viable, then I think I would have a stronger appeal to it because I would be able to make tight conceptual collections of songs. But, you know, even on this record that I'm putting out now, it, it, I admit it. I feel like I'm. I'm irritated when people like it's been five years since your last full length, but I put out EPs and like between then they just don't count. And I don't know why those don't count. I don't know why a seven song collection doesn't count in my career. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I, mad. you can hear that. I'm mad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm no, yelling I, get, at you. <laughs> I mean, cause, cause you're right. I mean, I remember like, like, like a couple of years back with the whole steady, I was like, you know what? We know where everyone is. We can just record a song. We don't have to wait for it to get pressed on vinyl. Let's just yeah. put it out, right? And we did that. And, you know, some people were like, okay. And then, so, but, but like, it didn't feel like quite to me like it was connecting. And again, we have an older audience, so I think that's part of it. But what we ended up doing is taking five of these songs and then going up and recording five more songs and making that that next part the B side of the album, the first mm. five, the front side of the album and calling it an album and it did really well. Like, so it was just a matter of like, you know, it's repackaged. It's, it's, it's like how people hear it. And I think there is a lag in how consumers or, you know, for better, uh, again, we're getting into content product and consumers, yeah, yeah. but I do think people are, are set in their ways. I sometimes do even get like people who are like, will you please put it out on CD? You know, like I listen to CDs and you're like, you know, I'm like, oh, just I don't have a CD player in my house anymore. But like, so there are people that are just set in their ways. And I think maybe that's mm. and we're all I'm set in my ways from buying albums as a kid and being like, it has to have 15 minutes of music roughly on each side. And then I can understand it. And I don't know that's a conditioning, obviously. Yeah, totally. Totally. You know, I'm also curious. This is like. Maybe it's as much a passion point as it's just trivia, but like how streaming changes our listening habits. So like not just the dissolution of the album is like, a, you know, a, a neatly packaged entity, but also like what it does to introductions and songs like slowing or start shortening intros. Right. To get to the meat of it so that you're fighting that impulse to fast forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the CD era of like it can go seventy five minutes. I don't think like and historically is going to be remembered that awesome because I there's a lot of like seventy five minute records mm. CDs that are like wow this is long. But at the same time, when an artist you love goes away, you're grateful for everything they've done. You mm. know, it's like you said, going to the DMV with someone you love. It's like, I'd want that, you know, I don't, I don't regret any music that, you know, my heroes made uh, mm. now that they're not here. It's also like, I mean, I know people talk about it on the radio now, but like there, the strange artistic opportunities and expectations that are created by whatever the current tech is for music recording, like 
I remember and still think like hidden songs were so rad. Like yeah. I was just a gimmicky and I loved it. I thought it was so cool on CDs. There was one I remember and it may be more than one, but I, there was something like you, you played the first song, but then you backed up. So you went, Oh, I zero. forgot. Yes. And that was like such a, that's a hack, right? Yeah, completely, completely, completely. Yeah. And I'm a sucker for that. Like I like weird, hidden buried levels of things yeah what you know um the 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 book which i i read in prep for this which i loved there was this part of it that i that i especially loved uh that that you kind of alternated this the one story where you're kind of um using scientific methods to fall out of love which is amazing concept but also and then with the touring and it kind of alternated and it got me in the swing of this thing of going on tour and coming off tour, which is like, you know, um, my partner and I call it the re-entry because you kind of uh-huh. come back in the civilian life and you can't, that must've been intentional, right? To, to, to sequence the, the book that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to the extent too, of like, you know, it's, it's in some ways a love story, but it's also just, I found the musician's lifestyle fascinating when I entered and, you know, I'm learning from other people. Like, how do you, how does one go about this? Where do you collect your mail? How do you <laughs> get clean socks? Oh, you put them on the rider. Ooh, clever. Like, how do you, you know what I mean? How is this done? Cause it's such a weird way to live. So I liked the idea of just sharing a little bit of that world too. Cause I think it's, fa- I still think it's fascinating. I think it's so weird. Yeah. I mean, people who have never done it ask me like crazy questions about it sometimes you know someone my aunt was like do you have to file a tax return in every state you play in and I was like yes you know at the end of the year I go to my business manager's office and sign all these documents and every once in a while we get like an angry letter from Kansas yes exactly that yeah um yeah, you know, there, there, and actually, you know what it reminded? I don't know if you've ever seen the, any of the Cassavetes films, but like, um, there's a couple of them that really do a nice job of like, have they're, they're like, um, killing of a Chinese bookie. He owns a nightclub, and there, there's parts where he's on stage, and then when he goes backstage to the offstage, there's a sense of relaxation that comes over, and I felt like that in your book when I, I, I would sort of relax when I got off the tour, but. Then I was sort of feeling the pain that 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 you know the love interest you were trying to erase was there on both parts, and that made it kind of like made me anxious in some way. Made me anxious too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so speaking of anxious, there's there's a part in the yeah. book where you you read about a tribe of people that slept on the skulls of their ancestors to incite lucid dreams, and then you went after this is I think before the touring, but you you, you know you would when you're young you try to incite these kind of these lucid dreams and. I find that absolutely terrifying. And I very much, um, touring brings about lucid dreams for me. So do you still have lucid dreams and, and are you excited by them? So I have, I woke up this morning having had a really tough dream about, uh, euthanasia, particularly for a kind of, it was a tough dream. And so for me, it's like, on occasion, there's a fun lucid dream, but I try, I still try to instill lucid dreams now because they are the better alternative to the nightmares. So if I can realize I'm having a nightmare and try to get out of it, um, that, that has been the, I don't know, an attempted escape valve, like break glass, go lucid um, to try to stop the, the nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. When I toured a lot, I would have these dreams that were 
um, very like I would dream about things I absolutely could do. Like meaning I'd, I'd have a dream about having a cup of coffee with my girlfriend at her kitchen table. And then I'd wake up and say that didn't happen. And I thought this is the road to madness. Like, like, I, if I can't tell the difference between, I mean, it's one thing. If but wait a minute. What do you mean? Because if you're lucid dreaming, are you deciding I'm going to go have a cup of coffee? And you knew maybe, that you were dreaming. May, actually, maybe that's not, maybe I'm not using the word lucid dreams, right? Lucid is know. like when you know that you're dreaming. Oh, yeah. And some people can, is the same? I could, yeah, I could do that. But, but like, like I would lucid dreams. I would, I would then get in it. Yeah. And I would come out of it, but then I would come out of it and I'd be like a little confused. Yeah. I do have more, I tend to have lucid dreams if I'm asleep on an airplane and, um, something about the motion and I kind of like can like, uh, move around a little bit, but, but is it like the ambient noise too? It's enough to sort of like remind your body, you know what I mean? That there's an awake territory too. It feels like you're not as deep asleep, right? I mean, and that seems like the kind of sleep you get in an airplane. Yeah, um, totally. totally. Yeah. And then you also say in the book, a disproportionate amount of your memories are in cars. And have you, have you thought about this? Is it, is it from growing up in the Midwest where we all have to drive a lot or is, or do you think it's cars at a time for reflection or is it just. Random? I never thought about, I just, I didn't even have, I think when I wrote the book, you know, I was still mostly touring and I tour, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a van artist. Uh, mm-hmm. Very occasionally I've done bus tours, but it's all road, you know? Yeah. So I think that just like, you know, the commute is between three and eight hours a day. But yeah, I never thought about that. I'm sure it did. Like growing up in Minnesota, you know, we don't have a, a rad transit system. So yeah, all of the trips you're taking are in your mom's Camry. <laughs> I think that I, I think like, um, I know I, I was, you know, I was, when I was growing up, I was really into punk rock, indie rock, et cetera. But I know like the words to every classic rock song because I didn't have like a tape deck or anything. So I was just in the car listening to the radio. And okay. I, yes. I, for me, it's oldies. I, I still like when some of those come on, my dad is like, why do you know all of the words to this? But I remember the seventies, eighties and today or whatever, you know, or in the forties, fifties, like I knew. Yeah. Like I know, I know a lot of lyrics. I don't know who made them. I don't know what they're about, but I can sing along with a lot of oldies. When you wrote the book, did you, did it, I mean, did the act of writing it spark memory and, and did, was there anything you had to like, especially examine like uh maybe I, did I am I remembering this right or did you you know like like is this a hundred percent uh is there anything in particular you remember that you had to like like look into um I I have strong feelings about creative nonfiction which is like the worst name for genre because it's so <laughs> unsexy and it sounds like you're writing a textbook but creative nonfiction like there was sort of a saucy era where it was like people were getting busted for writing things under that banner that were that were fictionalized, at least in part. And um, and I am, I'm like a purist about it. Like, I think it should be absolutely as true as you can make it. And if you can't make it super true, I love the when writers tell you. I don't exactly, in the same way we would in conversation. I don't remember exactly who I was talking to, but it was like a promoter. Or I don't remember exactly how this went, but the funniest way it should have gone was as follows. And Dave Eggers particularly is, is really good at that. He was a... Uh, formative influence on me. So he did these really clever things of like keeping the story moving, but he would indicate to a reader whenever something had to be filled in or he couldn't quite recall or two characters were going to collapse into one because else is going to be boring for the next chapter and a half. And so for me, as I was writing that, um, I, I would write down things I was uncertain of 
and then so like um the wood my dad made a plane in our garage when i was a kid out of wood using only hand tools and so i interviewed him and record that it recorded that interview and then i went online and found the the plans for the wood stock you know the blueprints or whatever just to reference make sure i got my story right and i interviewed my mom about you know she she was puerto rican grew up in new york and then like it made her life into like a Laura Ingalls Wilder episode um, by raising beef in the Midwest. So yeah, I would go over emails, you know, contemporaneously to see if I could make sure I was remembering correctly and, and try to interview people to like fill in my memory. So the book, you know, books take notoriously, I've never written one, but notoriously a long time to come out, which means the book was written, you know, before 2018 when it came out. Do you remember when you had finished it? I think it's something like a year. It's like after you submit, you know, a finished manuscript and there's a lot of back and forth. I think there was 22 like versions of the manuscript, you know, with little changes as you go. So it's a lot for me, it's a lot of revision Um, that I think it's something like nine or 10 months would be a pretty quick turnaround Mm -hmm. and it's often a year or more. Yeah. So, which is to say by 2023, you know, the, the content is, five, six years old, what would you, do you feel pressure to write a, uh, you know, cause it, it is very, it's a personal, very personal document. Do you, do you feel pressure to have a sequel or to write, you know, an update or, or, I mean, obviously I'm guessing writing a book is somewhat like you don't want to write just one. I'm guessing. You, I do. You I do feel that way. But I think I also have like, I don't know if writers use the phrase, but, but musicians do like that sophomore, I, that sophomore slump anxiety. Like I was proud of the first one, but you have your whole life to write it. And then, you know, two years later, it's like, where's the next one? It's like, what the hell do you mean where's the next one? I've been writing a song and I've been, you know, so. So I do feel like I want to do it. And I'm starting to have that sort of anxiety that, like, I haven't addressed. I'm, I'm doing things that are urgent and not important, which for me is an indicator of the fact that I'm putting something off. Yeah, I mean, it's a solitary pursuit, too, which means, you know, it has to be self-motivating. And I find, you know, trying to impress my bandmates is one of the greatest uh, motivators ever yes and would you write a book i feel like I, you're very if, if i had to guess i'd be like oh yeah I, I i have i've tried it various times and i've always i'm always writing but it's gonna th- th- there sort of needs to be i think i need that guy to, to, to that person uh to be to be like where is it what where you know, is it though yeah exactly. i'm gonna be very exactly. disappointed if when we meet for coffee next week you don't give me a ten thousand words you know and uh in the absence of that and um and and i really i need to really feel like that person i'm going to disappoint that person uh but someday i will put it this way i really hope i do not leave this earth without a book but but i i wouldn't say i'm doing a great job of pushing that goal forward i do feel like i just need someone to disappoint is a very hold steady song <laughs> <laughs> um all right so i have one more question and it and it's I, it's, it's something i'm asking everyone this year on this season and um so I just went home to our mutual hometown of Minneapolis. I'm from Edina, but metro area. And um, I got lost a few times on the roads. Um, I, you know, I, I couldn't think of anywhere to eat. And I felt I've been in New York 23, uh, 23 years now. You've been in New York for quite a while as well. And I'm wondering how your relationship with your hometown has changed since you've been away. But and, and plus all the travel, all the touring. Do you find it... Um, is there an easy way to say how, how it's changed? Is it more, you know, is it more charming? Is it, is it more alien? Is it scary, etc.? I find the way that Minneapolis has changed. 
a little alien and scary. And I know that's as much a statement about me as it is about the changes in the city. But, you know, I still bounce back and forth um, between New York and, and Minneapolis. So it's almost like more arresting that, hey, I'm here pretty frequently and it's still, I feel disoriented. I feel alienated. I find myself even just privately in the, you know, in the confines of my own mind thinking like, that's where such and such used to be, which is like a really weird way to go around city. You know, it's like there's a superimposed ghost city that only you can see. Um, but, you know, I did, I did a show recently on the ship of Theseus, which is like this um, kind of thought experiment about like, there's this king of Athens, his name is Theseus. And he's this big seafaring dude. His ship is busting all the time on his adventures, and so Athens loves him so much that they replace any piece when it fails, you know, a broken plank, a sail. Eventually, if all the pieces have been replaced, is it still the ship of Theseus? And I, and I feel like that's the kind of thought experiment. Like, Minneapolis looks really different. And, and also, to be honest, in a way that I'm, I know is not news to you, but, like, we were in the spotlight of the world for the worst of all possible reasons. And so I think not only does that change the way that I think about Minneapolis, but it makes me want to audit my impression of Minneapolis beforehand. It it did. Yes. Yeah. It did that for me too. I, I had it in my mind. I, it, you know, I mean, I think we've all been, I've certainly been examining privilege, et cetera, for the past, you know, five to 10 years. George Floyd was like uh, the, the murder of George Floyd made that, you know, like fast forward. And I, it really did remake, I, I had it in my mind of this, you know, my, my twenties as being somewhat, even though I didn't, I said earlier, I didn't love my twenties. I also thought there were this idyll, idyllic indie rock thing where no one had a job and we all just played music and loved. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's not everyone's experience. And also I started to remember little kind of street hassle things that I'd forgotten that, 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 you know, quite honestly haven't happened to me nearly as often in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. The, the one thing, though, but I will tell you that because I think you'll laugh. The one thing that happened to me, and I did a shortcut that, did, or I did a driving thing that didn't quite work out. And I was cruising from South Minneapolis down Nicollet, and I thought it went all the way to downtown, and or and and I got to that Kmart, and I'd forgotten about that. That there's a huge. It's now not open, but there's like a Kmart that intersects Nicollet. I felt like. I've lost all my Minneapolis cred. I don't didn't even. That's know a big one to lose. Yeah, exactly. That's like saying Houston in New York, <laughs> the south of Houston. <laughs> it's a big one. The, yeah, the yeah, was, Kmart. Like, yeah. There's the Kmart. That you know, I was. Yeah, it it wasn't like I'd given a lot of thought, but yeah, I think it's it it's 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 a really interesting thing. And also, I you know, we we it's also like a very special and amazing place. I'm sure you agree. It's both, and I think I think one of the one of the challenges that I can feel. Like intellectually, this part of your brain that could use a day at the gym is that I have a hard time holding a lot of like conflicting ideas at the same time. I want a neat account of what Minneapolis is. And so, you know, after George Floyd's death, I was afraid to say anything nice about it for a while because I didn't I didn't want to hurt anybody who had been hurt by it. Right. And the truth is, it's glorious. It's a really special place for art, for the arts. And it struggles like crazy in ways that I think a lot of us, myself included, and just like under indexed. And so how do you, I don't, I don't have a, I think I'm still figuring out the way to feel about Minneapolis as, as the city itself figures out, you know what I mean? How we respond to this big reckoning. Uh, in, in a lighter note, if there was yeah. a one, uh, one establishment store, 
bar, whatever in Minneapolis, that's no longer there that you could walk into tonight, what would it be? Muddy waters. Muddy Hands waters down. The coffee shop on Lindale and 24th. Right? I would take either. Yeah. So oh, muddy either. waters had a couple of lives, but muddy waters was like the shoot, you know, was where I met to me, the people who loom still twice as large in Minneapolis lore. Rita, mm-hmm. like that's freaking Rita, you know, that's Sarah. Like, the women, particularly, who are just a few years older than me, but it makes a big difference when you're 18, and, like, tatted up, strong as hell, straight spined, swore like sailors, living big lives, big, complicated, passionate lives. And, uh, and my, I think I had, like, an English teacher who was like, hey, I was a pretty troubled kid. He was like, I think the place that you'd enjoy is called Muddy Waters. It's a coffee shop. And he was right. My my partner, Angie's from uh, Minnesota also. We were talking about Muddy Waters this very morning walking our dog. And uh, we were talking about, there's this sort of 90s coffee shop, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, aesthetic. And I was thinking about like, like, you know, I I think they had like mismatched mugs, but maybe at very least big mugs. And then I think they sold like sugar cereals too. So there was a really a commitment to being like super caffeinated. It kind of was like the aesthetic was like come in here and bounce off the walls. And, and also it was you know it was like a recently sober spot, so everybody's got a vibe. And you know like yeah, and, and the late shift it was like if you picked up the wrong cut, there was maybe whiskey in it. Like it was yeah. just it was a punk rock coffee shop for sure. All right, there you go. Take me back to Lindale Avenue, Muddy Waters Coffee Shop. Tessa was a fantastic guest. Huge thanks to her for taking the time out of her busy schedule. Join me here. I hope you'll go see her on the West Coast in January. You can get the dates at tessawander.com. A side note, at the end of the episode there, we are talking about the Kmart on Lake Street in South Minneapolis. It's a strange thing because it blocks Nicollet Avenue. It kind of became a weird feature of the city that it sits there blocking, you know, a pretty big road. Um, and I, I, I'd gotten used to it when I lived there, but being away, it slipped my mind the trip I'm talking about, and I sort of ran right into it. Um, it closed a while back, and it was unoccupied when I was there in September. But in between recording that episode with Dessa and releasing it to the public here, um, there was a fire at that old Kmart building, and it burned, and now it's been demolished, so it's not even there anymore. Which I thought was interesting in context of talking about memory. It's not there anymore. It's just a memory huge thanks to you for listening uh we really appreciate it thank you to anyone who came to the live podcast recording at the white hotel last week we had a great time a great uh really cool event and we've got another live uh podcast taping but that's how i remember it in london march 2nd at the moth club craigfin.net for more details there please keep listening and please subscribe that helps us out a lot i really appreciate it i'm craig finn and that's how i remember it